Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. And yes, get ready. I'm beating the networking drum. Now, if you've listened to my podcast before, you know that networking is an important, if not a crucial aspect of your employment journey. That's in my opinion, and that's in reality. My guest today is Robert T. Sisba. Rob is an attorney, an attorney I met only recently because I was networking. I attended a professional networking dinner. When I say professional, it was attended by attorneys. It was a networking dinner event. So I didn't know Rob before, but I found him interesting. He was sitting at my table and we were exchanging discussions with each other and other people at our table. And I thought, this is someone that people should hear from. So Rob, welcome. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, Beverly, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really grateful that you asked me to do this and I'm, I'm excited for a conversation today. Well, you know, as I told you and as I've told, as I've shared with people who access my podcast, networking is the most effective way these days to get a job. Now, rather than start with the networking piece, why don't you share a little bit about who you are, how your employment journey has progressed, and where you find yourself today? Sure, I'd be happy to. Right now, I'm a partner at Seifarth Shaw in their labor employment department. I've been at the firm for about 10 years now, and I think anybody who's who's run into me or who knows me can tell you that I I get out there. Beverly, I get out there. I uh, I had a running joke with someone who I used to see at networking events that we would see each other at literally everything. So uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about you know networking and how that works and how that can really boost your your career and your development. But I've been at Cypherth for about ten years. My journey there, and I'm happy to share the story with you in a few minutes. Really, my time at Cypherth is do, stems from networking. Prior to my legal career, I actually spent a number of years working in the entertainment industry. Uh, I worked for a concert promotion company, the largest one in the world. And prior to that, I went to music school. Quite a little different of a path to uh, the law than I think some folks have. 
But what's interesting is networking has been a major component of, of my professional life throughout, whether it was in, in the legal profession, the entertainment industry, et cetera. So I've got a, I've been doing this a little while. <laughs> so it would seem. So now, how did you make the segue, the transition from music to the law? I mean, especially not the aspect of the law that would, there would be, you know, an alignment with music. Labor and employment is not, you know, some uh, the specialty that immediately comes to my mind, at least. Well, it's funny that you say that because... It was interesting the way it worked. And I, I often joke with folks that I'm a great person to talk to for parents who have children that are thinking about going to art school or music school or for, to be dancers, because I think a lot of parents get nervous when their children decide to go into the arts. And I can, I can kind of allay some of those fears a little bit that it, it, you know, it, they might get into a different path eventually. But what's interesting is that when I was in music school, and this is, this is potentially going to sound pretty crazy. My interest in going to law school started while I was at music school. I majored in music business, and a lot of the legal aspects and tax aspects and business aspects of the music industry were surprisingly and, and you know very fascinating to me at the time that I started taking those classes. And I transitioned from being a performance major to being a music business major. And I took a core curriculum of business classes that were overlaid with music industry specific electives. And then after that, I, I actually worked in the industry for a number of years. So at some point in time, my interest in, in law school, the, the seed had been planted and it sprouted a couple of years later. And I said to myself, you know, I'm, it's now or never. I was in my late twenties and I said, it's either going to be now that I explore this other interest or I'm probably never going to do it. So, uh, you know, I took the LSAT, applied, and off I went. But it's interesting that you say that you wouldn't expect me to wind up as a labor and employment lawyer. And I think you're, you're probably right. But in my case, by the time that I was in law school, the critical difference in my experience that I saw was after having worked for a number of years, I knew what I wanted to get out of law school. And I was a lot more focused on the things that I wanted to study, the skills that I wanted to develop and how I wanted my law school experience to go. Now, I'm a first generation you know, professional in my family, so I didn't really have anybody telling me where to go or what to do or how it worked. And a lot of stuff I found through either trial and error, or I screwed it up the first time, or you know, I kind of was late to the party on, on some things. So when I was in law school, I started reading cases, and I think it was my legal writing class, about employment issues. And they resonated with me very quickly because my parents were small business owners. So I saw a lot of the issues through the eyes of what I recalled my parents to experience. And it really gave a very different perspective, having that not just personal connection, but having that very practical connection. On top of that, I had worked as a corporate employee. I had worked as a hourly employee. I had been a manager. I had worked with unions, outside of unions. I had a lot of practical experiences as an employee in various capacities to draw on. So when I started hearing about employment issues and the legalities of the joint employer theory and you know all these kind of sophisticated concepts, I knew what they looked like. And it very quickly became an area of the law 
that I can relate to. And I had a lot of personal and practical experience with that really resonated with me. And here we are today. Well, you know, our backgrounds are not so different because um, I worked during the day while I went to law school. But after graduate school, I worked for a long time. You know, I think that when you've worked for a few years and then attended law school, whether it's at night or during the day, you have a different perspective about the practice of law and what you can accomplish. I think people straight out of um, undergraduate school, I think many of them aspire to be, you know, justices on the Supreme Court. And that's not a very realistic aspiration for most of us. But when you're older and more experienced, more seasoned, you tend to be more pragmatic, especially if you have family, uh, children that you have to support or a family dynamic that you have to contribute to and that you want to contribute to because law school takes up a lot of time. I couldn't agree more. I think the more experience outside the law that you have, especially, you know, in my field and in, in, in our field in, in labor employment, dealing with the types of issues after having been in similar settings or, or knowing what, you know, what those decisions might be. I mean, think about the practical realities of, of advising a client on my end, a company who might be dealing with a leave issue. Having been on the receiving end of things like that, you know, having to take leave for whether when my children were born or for, you know, time off when, when I've had medical issues or accidents or whatever, it really puts in a different perspective how you, how you handle and approach that specific question from, you know, from a client. Or conversely, if you're having employees with performance issues and how that can, you know, the technical application of the law isn't always the best application for, you know, for, for clients on the employer side. A lot of times the practical application in, in a way that kind of, for lack of a better phrasing, creates a win-win scenario where the employee can get the benefit of, you know, what, what they're what they're seeking and, and and the help that they need and also putting the employer in a good place that, you know, they can confidently do what they're looking to do or do what the employee is asking to do. You know, often there's a middle ground where everybody can benefit that sometimes a technical application of the law would overlook, at least from what I've found in, you know, in my years of practice. No, I absolutely agree. The only problem I see is that when you, when you look at these kind of situations individually and you focus on the individual involved, that can cause a problem down the road because all employees don't perform at equal levels and really based on performance and based on contribution may not be, should not expect to be treated the same way. But when you start treating people differently, especially if you deviate from established policies and procedures, it can cause a problem. But I otherwise, I agree with you. Well, I'll agree with you agreeing with me even <laughs> further. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that has to be factored in. But that's what I would say is one of the practical realities that, that you have to contend with, because you're right. You, you do have to have an eye towards fair and equal application of your policies and practices and, and how you treat people. But that's a, a much more sophisticated analysis and a much, much deeper thought that you have to give than just a straight application of, you know, what the FMLA or 
or another leave law tells you to do. No, absolutely. And see, I wish that I had done what you did. I didn't start networking until I started writing my career advice books. And that's been maybe 10 years. I worked so hard. I mean, in law school, the jobs that I had were very responsible positions and each one was had more responsibility than the previous one. So when I had time, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And it wasn't networking. It might've been reading, it might've been traveling, but it wasn't networking. And there has been a void in my professional development in that regard. Fortunately, I'm changing that. And thus we met. And I'm so happy that we did. Absolutely. And, you know, Beverly, I think to me, from my perspective, and, you know, this is little old me just talking, I think the biggest problem with networking is the fact that it sounds so scary and the fact that people make it out to be a lot more than it is. You know, it's interesting because I have a friend who has another podcast and we were joking around a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I'm, I might appear on her podcast and she talks with a lot of, about a lot of, you know, wellness issues and mindfulness issues. And I, and I said to her, I don't know what I can contribute because I like what I do. I like my job and I like the professional activities that I do outside of the office. And eventually our joke ended with, with her saying that I might be the, uh, the before picture or the uh, what not to do example on her podcast. But what's interesting is that I think people make networking out to be a lot more than it is. At the end of the day, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of law students about this and they freak out whenever I say, you know, you have to get out there and meet people. At the end of the day, it's just going out and making friends. That's really all it, all it is. Because all the same things that, that you would do if you were to go to whether it's a professional event or anything, your kid's soccer game, you're just meeting people and making a connection. And it doesn't really have to be a lot more complicated than that. And I remember hearing, you know, years and years ago that you go to a networking event and it's not successful unless you collect, you know, 50 business cards or you talk to someone and they're, you know, I've never had a networking event where somebody like offered me a job at the event or some crazy, you know, the skies opened and, you know, the light shined down on me. That doesn't happen. But what does happen is that you make connections, you you make friends yeah. with good people. And that support system that you have is going to be there for you. And you might not get any benefit out of most of the people you meet, like a like a direct benefit, like a, a job or you know, not a client or something like that. And that's okay. Because at the end of the day, if you're operating within, you know, in our circles, if you're operating within the legal profession, you develop a good reputation as a person that's likable, professional, whatever qualities there are about you through networking. And that has its own benefit. So I think people really make networking out to be a lot more than it is. And it's, it's not that complicated. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. But it can be uncomfortable. I know I'm not an introvert, but when I walked into the gathering at where we met, I didn't see anyone I knew. And that meant that I had to engage. That meant that I had to be on. Now I can be on. <laughs> I don't 
don't always like to be on. I'd rather not be on. I'd rather be more relaxed. But if I'm meeting people that I don't know, I'm not really looking for friends, but I'm looking for pleasant people like yourself to spend some time with. So it wasn't until we were seated at the dinner table where we got into a conversation that was more comfortable. Now, if I'm a type A personality and that's the way I felt, an introvert would be find it much more difficult. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And I think some self-awareness is important in this because if you are self-aware that you are an introvert or have a difficult time in, in large group settings, maybe those aren't the optimal networking events for you. And that's okay. There's a lot of different ways to network more than just going to big parties. I think there's a place for for that type of networking. I think there's a place for a lot of different types of networking. Oh, absolutely. When you have that self-awareness and you say, well, I don't really like the big parties. I'm going to go and, and try some, you know, something else. There's nothing wrong with that. But killing the idea of networking just because it sounds scary, I think is unfortunate because you do really miss out on the benefits of, of making these contacts. And I don't know if you noticed when we were at that event, but I had, like yourself, three guests with me that were newcomers to the organization and to the dinner. And I made it a point to introduce them and to jumpstart their conversations with people with whom I thought they would get along. And I did that because two of them were law students. I knew that they had not really been in the setting too many times. So I think that there's a lot of different tools out there. And, and in this instance, you know, teaming up with someone or partnering with someone that's been to the event like this before can really be helpful, especially if the other person, you know, really has an interest in, in you integrating and you making new connections or, or new conversations. And once they were off the ground, I let them go and they did all the, the hard work themselves. But to your point, I think there are, like I said, I think there are a lot of different ways to network and big parties is, is just one of them. And in our case, you know, when we were seated for dinner, you and I were able to sit next to each other and start off pleasant conversation like we would in any other group setting. And it was okay. But I, I will say one other thing, which is it's only hard the first time, you know, I have been a part of you know, multiple different organizations. And it's always challenging showing up to a room full of strangers. But if you go back one, two, three, four times, they're no longer strangers. They're people that you've met before. And after that first time of not knowing anyone, you integrate and you become part of the group and really can reap the benefits of, of putting the time in. No, you're absolutely right. And it was very thoughtful of you and the people the other people in the group who did the same thing. They introduced visitors like myself. They introduced us around so that we we met people. But in doing so, you know, when you meet people like that, you're you're liable to forget names. <laughs> you know, unless you even if they're the name tag is on it, it's not always visible. But you're right. It you can do things to ease people into whatever type of networking it is. And that's something for me to think about because when I do attend events, I don't really think about doing that, but I will from now on. It wasn't a need that I was conscious of. 
But I can be a better person by doing something like that and easing someone. They may be anxious about being there and not knowing anyone. And I typically pick up on those kind of vibes. I can extend myself. But see, before I wouldn't even do that because it was like, okay, I'm here. What do I have to do? What I have to, And then I'm out. You know, it's like in, out, on to the next, or you know, go home, do some work, do whatever. But I will be mindful of that going forward. I appreciate the information, Rob. You know, I'll say one other thing that I think might not be obvious to folks, which is, I think across the board, organizations like, you know, bar associations for attorneys, and I've heard of other types of organization, boards of directors for charities, et cetera, there is a growing concern that the institutions and these groups aren't generating the types of interest and participation from more junior members of, you know, whether it's the legal profession or in in their respective groups. And there is a tremendous amount of outreach that is starting to happen. Things like the dinner that we had that we met at, you know, where we we were very conscious to bring visitors and folks that maybe hadn't participated as much before. People that are, you know, whether new to the organization, new to the profession, what have you. There's a lot of interest from these organizations to facilitate having new members come in and new participants. And it's a really great time to take advantage of that. Some of the organizations that I've been a part of some will identify first-time participants. And I have to be honest with you, I've I've been tremendously impressed by how much outreach there is from incumbent members in, in some of these organizations to make that connection, to reach out, to be proactive, to say, hey, I saw that you're, you know, this is your first time at this conference or at this event or at this whatever shindig that we're at. And people make it a point to start conversation and learn, you know, where these new members are coming from and to make them feel welcome. So it right now in particular, I think it's a really great time if you're not networking to start doing so. Start small, but I think the the atmosphere is good and I think the the benefits will will manifest and speak for themselves. Well, I think there's a recognition that there's a lack of familiarity with the people either in that we work with or that we live in our community or live near our communities, we tend to, at least many people, tend to gravitate or mingle with people who may look like them. Fortunately for me, that's, that hasn't been my, my life experience. My friends are in a very eclectic group <laughs> in so many ways. And I'm grateful for that because it gives me different perspectives. I did some work for a client and I was the only, let's see, I think I was the only black person in the main office. I was talking to one of the young, young white guys, really very personable young man. And we were just sitting there chatting. And he says, you know, I've I've really never talked to a black person before. And I said, Wow, really? I said, well, <laughs> I don't know whether I should be the one that you start with. And, you know, we, we laughed, but 
his family was uh, had a law enforcement background and, and my father had been in quasi law, law enforcement so it was we had an interesting discussion a discussion that would never have taken place if we had not both extended ourselves and i think that's part of the effort going forward i think that organizations and people individually realize that we need to do more. We need to do better for a myriad of reasons so that we don't lose the rights and privileges that we enjoy and some people enjoy more than others. Well, I think that's a really important point, Beverly. And I, I can tell you from my my perspective, I think there's every upside and zero downside to people communicating and people speaking to each other. Absolutely. I think there's a tremendous amount of personal growth that happens, a tremendous amount of professional growth that can happen. And the more that we can come together, you know, the the better off that we all will collectively be. And it's interesting because, you know, we being in New Jersey in this part of the country, you know, there's probably a, a bit more diversity in this state than there are in some other parts of the country in the world. And I think that we have a really great opportunity to do that and to do our part and to, you know, bridge a lot of those gaps. It's really interesting to me because sometimes you hear, I think, a lot of stories about people being, you know, adverse and adversarial and people being outright mean to each other until the moment that they, they can actually sit down and, and talk to each other. And I think that it's it's an incredibly powerful opportunity that we have. And we really should take as much advantage of it as we can. I absolutely agree with you, first of all. And second of all, I think that at least I'm seeing that there's more of an effort. Now, is it authentic, genuine, intentional? I think it's intentional. I think it remains to be seen whether there will be a positive change as a result of it. I'm hopeful. Cautiously optimistic, let's call it. But I don't think there's ever anything wrong with, to your point, communicating with other people, talking to other people, and finding out about them and about their beliefs, their life experiences. If they come from different countries and cultures, learn about that. I love it. I'm like a sponge. I am truly like a sponge, but um, we have to do something because this is not the way it's going. <laughs> the way it's gone in the past is not working. I agree. I agree. And I think, I think, like I said, we have a great opportunity right now. That's right. And you're right. Networking is the way we can do it. Well, Rob, we're about out of time. Is there anything, any words, any pearls of wisdom that you'd like to leave? our listeners with? Wow, I feel like we've we've covered a lot of ground. I'll say two things from my perspective and touching on networking and, and the bigger conversation that, you know, that we had. I think, like I said earlier, a lot of people make networking out to be a lot more than it than it is in terms of, you know, a much more scary endeavor and, and a lot more of a some big mystical thing that only people that are really, you know, the the most outgoing of them all can do. And 
I disagree with that. And I think, you know, reaching out to other humans, you know, other people and, and getting to know them is really at the crux of, of networking. And whether it's big events, small events, internet-based, whatever it may be, it's not a bad thing. I'll say, you know, what's interesting, though, is I've had people cold call me, you know, alumni from from my law school or from wherever cold call me. And it's it's funny, but I'll always take the call. And nobody ever calls. <laughs> it's happened maybe a handful of times. And I've, I've said to folks, get in touch. I'm, I'll be more than happy to speak with you. And no one ever calls. But it's as simple as I said earlier. It's as simple as meeting people that you've never met and just making a connection. And the other thing I, I'll say, the, the, the more broad point is we're at a point, I think, in the history of the world where we have so much opportunity to bridge the gaps, to make connections, to reach out to each other. The connection tools such as, you know, as simple as social media, there's a lot of negative pitfalls perhaps, but there's also a lot of positive opportunities to reach out, whether it's electronically, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's in person, and there's every benefit and no downside to increasing communication and getting to know each other. And as we're able to do that, I think we as as a society will create a lot of opportunity for us to come together and eliminate a lot of the division and divisiveness and differences that have plagued humanity for all these centuries. Well said. Rob, thank you so much for your time and, and your insight. I sincerely appreciate it. And we're going to end now, but let me just ask, if you're so inclined, please leave a a review and let us know how we're doing. And additionally, my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job is available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, business expert press, and independent bookstores everywhere. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Beverly, for having me. And thank you to the listeners as well. You're welcome anytime, Bob. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at B.A. Williams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.